Welcome, everyone, to the week three wrap-up show here. I put the the analytical wrap-up show on the description here for the pod. Yeah, we're going to get into the analytics, no doubt. Get into my adjusted scores, which, depending upon what they say about your team, you love or hate them. Uh, Chiefs fans, you might actually like them this week. Uh, spoiler alert, they say you were better than the Colts despite losing this game here. We'll get into all that. Uh, also got some, you know, got some takes on the football side of things for stuff that I was able to watch so far. But really going to get the most comprehensive wrap up here of not only what happened by the numbers, uh, what to expect going forward. I have all the updated playoff probabilities for every single team, and I'll talk about some of those, especially those that have shifted dramatically from preseason. We'll go through all that, but if I want to give a wrap-up on the Sunday action that we're going to discuss here, I would say, and I'm not sure if you guys would agree with me or not, but I would say it was a weird weekend in a way. We had Bills Dolphins, which I'll talk about first. So I don't want to go into it too much. We had one team, you know, running 90 plays, another team running 40 plays. We had that happen a couple of other times with with some different games there. You'll see that the uh, Cardinals actually ran a ton more plays than the Rams did in that game, too. You had some weird teams winning, despite being the, the, uh, in my, by my numbers, being the worst team. It happened quite a few times this week. But they were close games, so it makes sense. And I think you also have guys floating under the radar a little bit. I've I've seen some Lamar Jackson hype based upon what he's been able to do so far this season. But I'll get into a little bit more why I think he's getting underhyped, if there is such a word, in the MVP race and discussion and everything going on there. Okay, Let's go through all the different games. Again, I'm going to give you the line going into the game for some context, the actual score, my adjusted score, which relies a little bit more heavily on success rate. It downweights outlier plays. It downweights dramatic swings within special teams, within penalties, things like that. And it's going to give a little bit more credit to teams who have bad fumble luck, let's say, if they're every single time that they're losing a fumble, I mean, every single time that they're fumbling, they're losing it, or they're not getting recoveries on the other side. And it's also going to give a little bit more credit to teams that have turnovers, interceptions that were not turnover-worthy plays by our grades, and vice versa. It's going to take away a little bit from some teams who did have that, who did have a lot of turnover-worthy plays, but by luck or by, you know, the degree to which it was turnover worthiness. They did not end up being actual turnovers. I also get into some of the grading and let me tell you, there's some grades in here that if they get out beyond what I'm going to talk about in this podcast, or if they don't get adjusted too, because big caveat right up front, this is preliminary grading. We're talking about here. It has not been unlocked. It has not been finalized. I'm going to talk about it for context, but these can swing fairly dramatically because the crediting of a big time throw or a turnover worthy play have huge impact uh, on the grading. So if those get changed around, and sometimes it's not, it's tough to you know assign these sorts of things. If those get changed around, then we'll see some dramatic swings in the grades. But I'll talk about what we have uh, preliminary right here. Um, here we go. 
Let's start with the game that I mentioned, the Miami-Buffalo game. Buffalo was a four-and-a-half-point favorite going into this, and the Dolphins pull it out 21-19 by my adjusted scores, which everyone loves, which the Dolphins fans will love after this one. Um, Buffalo was 30-26, to so a little bit closer. You know, I thought it might even be wider than this because, like I said, just some wild stuff going on here. 90 plays for the Bills. They had the ball for over 40 minutes. And remember, we're talking about out of 60 minutes here when we talk about time of possession. So then the Dolphins had 39 plays that they ran offensively. Fewer than 20 minutes, they held the ball. And according to some numbers from Graham Barfield over at Fantasy Points, the website Fantasy Points, follow him on Twitter, at Graham Barfield. He says it's just the 15th time that a team has has ran fewer than 40 plays and win in the Super Bowl era. Teams with fewer than 40 plays in the past were 15 and 77. So they win 16% of the time, all time. So kind of a weird, weird game here. And you throw in the extra factor here, which kind of makes running a lot of plays a bad thing in this particular game. The context of it is that it was hot. It was hot out there. Now, maybe it could wear down the defense a bit, but the Bills were way over expectation in this game as far as how they how they pass the ball. They do it almost every single week. So maybe we're talking about a passing game here. Maybe it wears down the offense a little bit more than you might think in these types of games. And that could have also had an effect on a couple of at least one short arm throw from Josh Allen at the end of the game. Uh, again, I, I just want to highlight a little bit some of the craziness of these numbers of plays. If you look at the second half alone for the Bills, they ran 53 offensive plays in one half. They did not punt, yet they scored three points, three offensive points. They got two points on a in a safety, but three offensive points after running 53 plays in the second half, never punting. Okay, look at these drives that they had in the second half. A 21-play drive, which led to a field goal. So they stall out, get a field goal. A six-play drive where they move pretty quickly down the field. They get to the 20-yard line for the Dolphins, and they miss a really easy field goal. And these field goal misses are are significant. It was the third biggest swing in in expected points for a particular play, minus more than four points. You think it would be minus three because you missed the field goal, but there's a field position thing that goes into it also. So third biggest play, biggest swing of the game in a game that was very much lots of small plays uh, was the missed field goal there. Then they have 18 plays and they fail on fourth and goal where it looked like Josh Allen kind of short armed it. He was going to throw it out to McKenzie. Kind of he hesitated a bit and then he short armed it there. They fail on there. And then on the last drive, eight plays and the time runs out. I want to talk about the last drive a little bit because I've seen some stuff out there about Isaiah McKenzie, whether or not he should have gone down on this play. I could go either way on this. I don't really blame him that much, honestly, because if you look at it, they were starting from their own 47-yard line, the Bills, on that play. And it took a a decent amount of time just for Josh Allen to move around to avoid pressure. He dumps it off to McKenzie. When McKenzie first catches the ball, he's on the Dolphins' 48 maybe 47 yard line. And if he's just going to go down and not try to run, they're not in field goal range at that point. We're talking about a 60 something yard kick. No way that Tyler Bass, I like Tyler Bass. He's a good, he's a good kicker, but he's, he's not making that. I don't think 
or very, very low probability. So they still would have to get up to the line, spike it. Maybe you have time to run one more sideline play, get a little bit closer, and then you have to get a bounce. You have, again, one play, and then Tyler Bass could kick it from there. So maybe there's playing out. But when McKenzie first caught it, there did look like there could be a window to getting out of bounds. He could get around the linebacker, but the safety that was playing up made a nice play to force him back inside and tackle him in bounds and then run out the clock there. So if McKenzie goes down immediately, we're more looking at a Hail Mary type of situation. And obviously the probability isn't going to be that great there too. So I don't really blame McKenzie too much there. He was getting a little bit of grief for what he did there. I don't think that was deserved on this one. Um, What's also interesting about this game is despite the huge differential in play count, they were about the same in yards per play, uh, 5.5 for the Bills, 5.4 for the Dolphins. Um, but again, because of the huge differential in plays, almost 500 total yards for the Bills and only a little bit over 200 for the Dolphins in this game. Now, Josh Allen had a very low grade. We'll see if this comes out. Let's see if PFF, um, I'll, I'll make PFF a separate entity here. See if PFF is getting dunked on a ton for this one. Because if you look at this grade, his passing grade, again, subject to review, is in the 50s, as opposed to Tua, who's up in the 70s. And his EPA per play is a little bit low, too. His efficiency was a little bit low there because they had a fumble, a strip sack fumble, and he failed on fourth down uh, that one time. But the thing is, he had five turnover-worthy plays by our grading. So this is what doesn't show up, what maybe just flows by are conscious when we're watching the game is the fact that he had three dropped interceptions. Were they the easiest interceptions? No, but there were three where the defender got both hands on the ball and did not come away with it. And then he had another strip sack, which the offensive line recovered. So five turnover-worthy plays is really what kills Allen's grading in this particular game. Even though we're going to look at how he played, we're going to look at the 400 yards passing, the 50 yards rushing, multiple TDs, and we're going to say, you know, this is a great game for Josh Allen. It's going to be a little bit different in our grading. A uh, big factor here, like I said, Tua played well. Tua is now the, the most efficient quarterback in the NFL by EPA per play after this game. Uh, but again, just didn't have the ball in his hands very much on this. What I thought was either a scheme thing, maybe Jordan Phillips not being there for the Bills, but the Bills in this game were not getting pressure like they did in weeks one and week two. They were getting crazy pressure against the Titans and against the Rams, uh, despite not blitzing. They didn't blitz in this game, only blitz 8% of the time, but they only had a 16% fast pressure rate. I look at fast pressures, which come in uh, less than two and a half seconds, whereas they were at 50% fast pressure rate on Tannehill dropbacks last week. But Tua helped us. 4.4 time to throw. I mean, sorry, 2.4 second time to throw. 4.4 would be like a Malik Willis number. Uh, A 2.4 second time to throw and a 10.4 yard average depth of target. So, you know, big, big, that's almost Brady-esque as far as getting rid of the ball that quickly, but also moving it down the field. Had a long completion to Waddle, but just didn't have many attempts to do anything here. Um, 80 passing grade-ish sort of number for Tua in this game. So he had the big number here. Uh, Jalen Waddle, another 100-yard game for him. He had 102 of only 180 yards passing. But there's really no big producer from the Bills. It was all spread out what they were doing production-wise. Okay, so the Dolphins are now 3-0. and They are in the lead for the AFC East. And they have, you know, not quite the tiebreaker because they'll have to play the Bills again in this one. 
But if we're looking at just straight up playoff probabilities, it doesn't hurt Buffalo that much. They're down slightly. They're above 90% playoff probability going into this. Now they're 87 and a half up from 78 to start the year. But Miami is way up. So they're actually still a little bit lower than Buffalo because of team strength numbers that we have. But now we're looking at a 75% chance to make the playoffs for the Dolphins versus 36, according to our numbers coming into the season. Huge, huge jump. The biggest jump of any team so far this season, what they've done in their playoff probability. Uh, Props to Mike McDaniel. Props to uh, Tua and everyone out there. Uh, But this game, we have Buffalo being slightly better. And I think if most people watch the game, they would probably agree with that, if only because they had the ball just so much longer in this particular contest. All right. Second game we're going to get into here is another game where the final score does not match my adjusted scores. Let's see if I can get Kansas City Chiefs fans back on my side here, uh, although that's unlikely. So this was the Colts at home facing the Chiefs. Chiefs were four and a half point favorites in this one. 2017 is the final score for Indianapolis. I had this as the Chiefs 26 to 21 as the final numbers here, according to my adjusted scores. Okay, why was that the case here? Well, it's fairly simple. I mean, the the Chiefs had, while a lower total success rate on some of these, the the um, the Colts just had no explosive plays, basically no explosive plays in this game. The Colts averaged 3.8 yards per play. They were doing nothing on here. Um, and the things that went against the Chiefs, some of them a little bit fluky here. We had a muffed punt by Sky Moore, which was the most impactful play of the game because you're going from an assumption of first and 10 with the ball to the other team, first and 10, in very much in scoring territory. So that was huge. There was a missed field goal. Uh, There was a fake field goal that went wrong. So that's not so good. Uh, Kansas City has been normally one of the best teams on third down, on third down conversions. In this game, there were only three of 10. So this did not help a lot. Um, All that stuff was bad. Mahomes played better, I would say, than some of the underlying numbers that you'll see for him coming out of this game. We did not credit him with a turnover worthy play on the interception. That seemed like a bit of a miscommunication with Juju Smith-Schuster on how he should have ran that route, the angle that he should have been running that route. Mahomes still had positive 0.25 EPA per play, which is a strong number. That's a similar type of number over the course of the season that Rodgers had for winning the MVP last year. We had him for a 77 grade, so a pretty good grade in this one, again, because we did not credit him with that turnover-worthy play. Um, But it could have been even better. They did a good job holding down some of the large explosive plays for Mahomes, too. He wasn't under a lot of pressure. And again, there were good dropping back to pass, but this was a really a struggle game when it came to running the ball for the Chiefs. And that's something that they've been doing pretty well up until this point. They had a lower than 10th percentile in running efficiency, lower than 15th percentile in success rate running the ball, whereas the Colts were able to run the ball somewhat effectively. I wouldn't be in panic mode for the Chiefs right now. They're, you know, still have a very good chance, according to our numbers of making the playoffs, about 75%. But I guess you would hope for a little bit more from them because they have that Chargers win. And this is just a very, very winnable game. So again, you know, you win some that you don't look like you're going to win, like against the Chargers last week. 
you lose some that you look like you're going to win. And it's weird from Kansas City. It's really been Indianapolis that's been Achilles' heel for them. This is only the second time where Mahomes has lost a game where the opponent's scoring fewer than 20 points. Both of those times have been against the Colts. Uh, To go into the Colts and what are their chances? I mean, the thing is, they still have a playoff chance of around 48%, which is a little bit shocking to me, despite being one and two. But the thing is, the division, not good. Titans also one and two. The Jaguars leading divisions, we saw two and one, but we don't have them internally as being as as good of a team strength here. But the problem for the Colts is there's just not a lot to take away from this game, at least offensively, that you can hang your hat on and say, okay, I I get it. Things are getting better. We beat the Chiefs. Again, less than four yards per play. Matt Ryan, not only was he not pushing the ball down the field a lot, but really problematic to me that the Kansas City pass rush, which has been okay so far this season, not great, um, sacked him a ton, sacked him five different times. They lost almost 14 EP on sacks. If you're Matt Ryan playing at the stage that he's playing in his career, the way he's playing, you just can't take all those sacks. You can't go down like that. Drive killers, which enables, which doesn't enable you to use Jonathan Taylor and others, the run game, which seems to be working pretty well for this season. Generally, I'm still very, very skeptical on the Colts, but they have a lot of time to turn things around. I do think this is an instance where perhaps the power rankings and others that are feeding into an algorithm here that we have, giving the Colts a 50% chance to still make the playoffs might be a little bit too high on them right at this point in time. Um, If anyone's watching out for some little interesting things here, two touchdowns for the rookie Jelani Woods, the third round rookie tight end athletic freak, probably the best athletic score of any tight end that we've seen coming out in college since we've been tracking a lot of this stuff, uh, the mid two thousands and a couple other things to talk about game management wise. And this is always with the chiefs. Yeah. They, they missed the field goal. They went for the fake, which was somewhat disastrous. That stuff was kind of bad. Uh, Mahomes was not happy with them laying down at the end of the first half and got into a little bit of a thing with Eric Bieniemy at the end. But it was second and 20 with 20 seconds left on their own side of the field. I think I let him tear away and go for it and try to see what he can do there. But I get it. I don't think that was a big deal. I think Mahomes, even after the game, being interviewed about it, says he kind of understands what, what happened in that situation. But at the end, critical clock management error here, timeout management error by Andy Reid. And he really needs someone like, you know, Nathaniel Hackett brought someone in to help him with this thing. I mean, God, please, Andy, can we get someone to help you with this here? Um, it was really just not using a timeout when the Colts had the ball. So let me rewind here. The Colts have the ball. Two-minute warning goes by. They have the ball at the 39-yard line for Kansas City. It's first and 20. Okay? They run a play, and it's second and seven after picking up 13 yards. Now, should KC have used a timeout here? Because they end up not using any of their timeouts, and they have the ball back with three timeouts, but not enough time to do anything. Or not nearly, not as much time as you would like to do anything. Here, I think with second and seven, I mean, I guess I'm okay for them running it down. But if you look at it, there is an equilibrium point in any situation, all these late game situations where it's very unlikely you have perfect equilibrium where both teams believe the same thing about clock management. In other words, it's very unlikely that in these situations where 
The Colts choose on this play to run it all the way down. So it goes from 155 down to 115. Then they pick up a first down, and then they run it down again. And this is really when Kansas City 100% should have been using a timeout here because over the course of two plays, the Colts run it from 155 down to 33 seconds at the 12-yard line. They have the ball first and 10 at the 12-yard line. They have their timeout, so they're not going to run out of time. So, like, you're not – Andy Reid is not doing some – you know, game theory thing here where he's going to trick the Colts into running out, running all their time off the clock. That's not going to happen because the Colts have their timeouts here. So if the Colts are content letting the clock run down, that means Kansas City 99% of the time in this type of situation should want to stop the clock. You should want to do with the opposite. If it's raising their win probability, the Colts letting the clock run down, then it's lowering Kansas City's win probability letting the clock run down. Critical, critical mistake. Not using at least the second timeout. At least keeping it around a minute left to go. Because then when Kansas City would have scored, I mean, when Indianapolis would have scored, they would have had roughly a minute left to go. Could have saved at least 30 seconds. Um, maybe even more than that, depending upon what the equilibrium point was on that earlier play. But critical, critical, critical mistake from Andy Reid here. And he seems to do this a lot. Fourth down stuff. I mean, fourth down stuff is horrible. Uh, you know, he, he, they, they lost more win probability than the Chargers did with some of these fourth down calls when that, in that game different happened. But this timeout stuff is maybe even worse because there's not even this push-pull to it. It's just when... When they got that first down, got down to the Kansas City 12-yard line with about a minute left to go, 100% of the time should have been an easy timeout decision there for Kansas City to save some time to get the ball back on the other side. Andy, please, give me a call. I'm willing to leave PFF if you want to bring me in for your clock management specialist to see that this does not happen again. All right, let's get to the next game here. Sorry, Andy, had to roast you a little bit there. Um, Let's go to the GOAT showdown here which ended up being a little bit disappointing. Well, very disappointing offensively, but it had a low total in this game. It was only a 40 total in this game. So the Bucs against the Packers in Tampa Bay, the Bucs were a one and a half point favorite. I like the Bucs in this one. They end up losing 14-12. Maybe I underestimated just how big of a deal the receiver issue is for them, especially with Gage being a little bit banged up, although he did get 12 catches in this game. Uh, Green Bay was the better team, according to my numbers, 2017. So both teams were a little bit better as far as how much they they scored, the internals there. Um, the Bucks actually had a better success rate offensively in this game, which is a little bit surprising. But they had two different fumbles from wide receivers. And I don't think it was an awful game for Brady or Rodgers, but it was just a struggle. Uh, Brady had a 6.1 yard a dot in this game. He only went under that number twice last season, not stretching the ball down the field. The receivers are not helping him that one. Uh, the Bucks just can't run the ball. Leonard Fournette was under three yards per carry. The Packers weren't much better, but the problem was if you can't run the ball and you're running the ball a decent amount, you've got to be able to convert third downs to sustain drives. And the Bucks were two of 11 on third down, which ended up killing a lot of these drives there and making it very difficult for them to to score and to sustain anything offensively. Like I said, the Packers weren't much better. They were 6 of 15 on third down, but at least it seemed like they were moving a bit better in this game. Is this the emergence game for uh, Romeo Dobbs? I'm not sure. Eight targets, though, 73 yards, eight catches. 
uh, ran 34 of 36 routes with some injuries to Watkins and others. So, you know, interesting game for him. He's probably something to keep an eye on going forward. And the thing to take away from this is this game, because it's two teams that are seen as being right up there in the conversation for best record in the NFC. The fact that Tampa Bay lost this game doesn't really affect their playoff chances that much. They're still at around 90% chance to make the playoffs unless things completely fall apart. They're going to get one of those spots. Um, But there's only one spot for a bye. So this does have an effect here where now Green Bay, they're not going to play each other again this season. Now they have the tiebreaker uh, going forward. And again, you know, Green Bay is almost a lock to make the playoffs, but a little bit less because they have a little bit more challenge within their division. Um, God, the NFC South is just rough, absolutely rough outside of Tampa, who is at, who is struggling already there. So because of that, the, the, um, the Bucks still have the highest percentage to making the playoffs of anyone in the NFL right now at 93% because of how rough it is there. Green Bay is a little bit lower at 80% because of the division, um, the divisional difficulties there, but this gives them a critical tiebreaker in a system now where we only have one team that gets a bye week. All right, let's move to Patriots versus the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore, two and a half point favorite is what I have this closing at. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but it's interesting because they were a three point favorite for most of the week. So the fact that it moved down to two and a half means there was probably some, you know, quote unquote, sharp money coming in on New England. I actually thought. If, if the money was going to come in in any direction, that it should have been in, in, on New England. Uh, but, you know, sometimes results, sometimes getting that closing line value does not matter because Baltimore wins 37 to 26. I have, by my adjusted scores, both teams a little bit further down as far as they're scoring, 28 to 21, but pretty close, pretty close. Uh, I mean, kind of a shootout sort of game here. 63 total points, which I did not see coming into this. The Patriots... And I'm going to have to watch this one in more detail to see what happened. But I don't think they were that bad offensively. Just two of nine on third down, which ended up hurting them quite a bit. They average, they actually average more yards per play than the Ravens here. 7.1 yards per play, which is a big number for the Patriots to 6.7 for the Ravens. Okay, let's talk Lamar Jackson. We got to talk Lamar Jackson here because he continues to do basically everything for the Ravens here. 218-yard passing, four touchdowns. And he also gained 107 of the 188 rushing yards and got their only rushing TD, got six of eight rushing first downs were Lamar Jackson. Um, And of his 11 carries, 10 of them were designed runs. So he basically is the run game and the passing game right here. He gained 1.4 expected points per designed run when he was running this game. Tremendously huge number there. Um. But again, we look at some of these things and again, I hope, you know, everyone doesn't get a hold of our uh, grading (laughs) for this one because Lamar Jackson is the new one. I saw that Patrick Mahomes was the guy that everyone went wild on after week one of his grading not being that great. Lamar Jackson became the guy after having a lower grade in that Miami game in the 60s. In this game, at least preliminary grade. Oh, actually, Jackson is up at 79. <sighs> okay, good. So we, we have a good grade here for Jackson. Mac Jones down at 62. Turnovers, problem, huge problem for the Patriots in this game. Negative 15 EPA in the three different interceptions that they have. And it's interesting to see Mac Jones stretching the ball down the field. There's some positivity there. 
like I said, some positivity in a yards per play amount, but you just can't have those mistakes and expect to be good here. Mac Jones, the the story here, of course, maybe we just mentioned now, likely injury. Uh, I'm sorry, not likely injury, but a high ankle sprain likely to miss at least a couple of weeks, I think. It looked pretty bad. They're doing an MRI today to see the extent of the damage. And Patriots got – it's kind of rough as far as backup situation. I guess we're talking about Brian Hoyer. I don't think they can bring the rookie, Bailey Zappi, in right now. And the Patriots right now, their playoff chances have moved from 47% about a coin flip to start the season – to about 26%. And I'm not sure this fully uh, encapsulates the 26%, the fact that Mac Jones isn't going to be there for a week or two. They might be more like under 20%. Critical stretch here to see if the Patriots can come up with some victories. Uh, What else we got to talk about here? Mark Andrews. Let's talk about Mark Andrews real fast. 89 yards receiving, which doesn't seem huge, but they only had 218 yards passing. A couple of touchdowns. So right now, Andrews has 245 receiving yards to only 230 for Kelsey. Three touchdowns, only two for Kelsey. So dominant guy there as far as tight end production this year. Devontae Parker breakout game, maybe? I don't know. He does a lot of 50-50 balls, a lot of down-the-field stuff. His catch rate was still only 50% in this game, 5 of 10. He had 156 yards uh, receiving, which kind of shows you how how fluky kind of variants some of these longer passes could be because he was being targeted. He had a decent amount of air yards coming into this game, but he only had one catch for nine yards in the first two games this season. Um, the other story here is probably coverage grades for the Ravens. They gave up a decent amount but of yardage, but Humphrey, Peters, and Hamilton all graded over 90. Big play, big punch out at the end uh, of Nelson Aguilar by Kyle Hamilton, the rookie at the end of the game. So, Big, big, big thing there. And I think Lamar MVP hype is probably going to be picking up, especially with the fact that now the Patriots have lost the game. The Chiefs have lost the game. So there isn't this, you know, magnificent 3-0 team, unless you want to talk about Jalen Hurts maybe or Tua. But I don't think they're as much in the MVP conversation for some people. So if we look at Lamar Jackson, 749 yards passing through three games. Uh, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions, 8.5 yards per attempt. So you have all that. The passing is, has been as good as it's ever been for Lamar Jackson, I would say. He also has 243 of the 405 rushing yards for the team. So he has 60% of the team's rushing production also. The passing production, 60% of the team's rushing production, despite only having 36% of the team's carries. So we're talking about 85, 90% of the total offense for the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson is involved either passing the ball or running the ball himself. If you want to talk about for comparison, Josh Allen is about a third of the Bills rushing yards so far this season. Lamar Jackson at 60%. Very strong case, in my opinion, for him uh, being right up there near the top of the MVP race. All right, let's get into Vikings and Detroit Lions next Minnesota six and a half point favorite going into this one. They win 28 to 24. My adjusted scores have Detroit as being the better team, 27-23. Heartbreaking loss here for the Dan Campbells, the fighting Dan Campbells here. I thought this was going to go under because I thought Detroit would have a little bit better defense. And I think they defensively, they did play a little bit better until the blown coverage at the end. And I also thought that Detroit's offense would stall out a bit. And I was kind of, low-key wrong about that because they missed all these field goals 
in this game. There were four total missed field goals in this game. So the fact that it hit 52 points, which was a half point under the 52 and a half over under, was kind of lucky if you ended up hitting the the over under on that one. There was about 13 expected points lost because of all these different missed field goals. And the Lions were also three of 16 on third down. Now they were successful uh, four of six on fourth down. They should have gone for one more on that last field goal. Well, we'll talk about that decision in a little bit here. Um, but if they got a little bit more third down luck, they could have been even better in this game. All right, let's look at some of this. Um, as far as the particulars for players and what they ended up doing in this game, Justin Jefferson, three catches, 14 yards, five targets. I don't know. We went from Cooper Cup roll, destroying the face at the earth, just blazing through all teams week one to now a couple of down weeks here for Jefferson. Thielen and Osborne were definitely more involved in this one. And let's go straight to the decision. Because I think this is the easiest thing and the biggest thing to discuss on this podcast that you won't necessarily hear others is that fourth down decision and the numbers involved in it. What I thought was interesting is Dan Campbell's been really, really good about fourth down decisions. And before he started, I roasted him a little bit. And then the the viewers of the YouTube, when I canceled Dan Campbell, canceled me because they got so mad about it because he was being interviewed. I think it was um, actually the, what, what do they call the PFT commenter podcast? Pardon the something. Um, pardon my take. So he was being interviewed on there before he started about the go for two down eight thing, which is like the the analytics test, and he was against it, but he was kind of thinking through at the time. And what I've noticed since then is what I like about Dan Campbell. There's certain things I don't like about Dan Campbell, but what I what I do like, more to like than not to like, what I do like about him is he seems to have humility and he's willing to accept new information because he was good even in his first season and when it came to going for fourth downs. And he's been really good this season. Um, they had fourth and a long one a little bit early in this game with three minutes left. And they didn't get it that they did go for that they should have gone for that they didn't get. Um, and that and that that affected them, right? If they would have gotten that field goal, if you said, oh, we kick this one, we kick the other one, we win the game sort of situation. You know, if they make these other field goals, there's lots of excuses he could have made around that. But he did do the right thing there on a tough decision. A little bit later on, it was fourth and four. And I think optically you see fourth and four versus fourth and one and you think Therefore, it has to be a worse decision or a closer decision between field goal and go for it. But it was actually even a wider decision to go for it in this circumstance because you're a little bit further back, which makes the field goal more difficult in that circumstance. And because of the timeout situation, the defense has no timeouts that if you get it, you put them away. The game is over. So because of that flip game being over in that circumstance, if you get it where it's not um, necessarily over if you kick the field goal there with, with the time remaining and you're giving them all the time remaining because of that, it really makes it a strong gopher situation there. One minute and 14 seconds left, 36 yard line, fourth and four up three was the situation there. It was 5.4 win probability gain. If you choose to go for it, uh, according to the numbers now, maybe they fail whatever could happen, all that stuff can happen. Of course, they ended up missing the kick, losing field position there. And Campbell, after the game, did say he made a mistake. So I like that he's saying he made a mistake, but maybe I don't give as much credit as some other people do to admitting mistakes because I think it also points to, you know, is there a flaw in the process here? Um, 
you don't want teams to be rigid when they're making bad decisions saying, I'm glad I made the bad decision. But sometimes there should be some rigidity to the day after or else you're not just saying you made the wrong decision with good information, but you're also saying maybe we have the wrong process a little bit here. Like we need to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen in the future. And that's a very important thing is to make sure not only you have the right information, but you have the right process and you have the right mentality with these are automatic. We need to default to automatic go for if you have something like a 5% win probability game. It's automatic unless we have a strenuous, unique variable that we cannot predict going into this, like the quarterback's out or something like that. So the chance to get it falls dramatically. Something to that effect. Um, unless we have that, it's a it's a de- default to go for it. You don't have to vote to go for it. You have to vote strenuously and veto maybe multiple parties saying don't go for it in that sort of situation. That would be a better process around here. Uh, one other thing to mention for Jared Goff, that late interception, like why don't you just toss it up in the air? I mean, at least get the ball into the end zone or just throw it out of bounds and then take one more play to go ahead and do a Hail Mary at the end. A little bit of a weird decision there for Goff. But I guess, you know, Goff is going to, Goff's going to Goff sometimes. Detroit, unfortunately, this was a killer here for them in their playoff chances now down to 17%. Started the season at 24%. It's been, you know, they finally got that victory. But then the loss in week one and then this loss here, especially to a division rival, makes things difficult. Their team strength is probably, though, a bit better than what's going into this. So I'm not going to put them down too far here. But with everyone else in the division winning today, other than Detroit, it puts them even a little bit further behind the eight ball in this one. All right, let's get to Titans versus Raiders. The battle of is our season over? basically in this one is what I would call it. And the Raiders were one and a half point favorites in this game. A little surprisingly, uh, Tennessee ends up winning 24 to 22. I didn't even a higher score as far as the adjusted score here, 33, 25 to Tennessee 90th percentile success rate for the Titans, but they only had a 50th percentile. I mean, not 50 percentile. They only passed the ball 50% of the time. So they ran the ball well, but they passed the ball well again. That's what I think is interesting about Tannehill so far this season is everyone likes to, you know, jump all over him. He looked bad in that Buffalo Bills game. The Malik Willis, there's some like, I don't know why, but there's a little bit of this like Malik Willis crowd out there for can can we get Malik Willis potentially in the game sometime later this season? Maybe fantasy football bros are all about getting that rushing production for Willis. But uh, Tannehill eighth in EPA per play this season, despite that awful game against the Bills, where in my opinion, he didn't really have a chance. 50% quick pressure rate in that game. He was getting killed in that game. Eighth right now, EPA per play. His, actually, his grading is lower at 17th, which is a little bit surprising because normally it's the other way with him. Normally we grade him a bit higher than what his EPA ends up being on this one. So let's 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 cut Tannehill some slack on this one. Um, and if you look at now their chances, their playoff chances here, not bad. 45%. Only down 5% from to start the season, believe it or not. Uh, what we had projected to start the season because the division is so weak right now. And they look like, you know, at least the second best team in the division. The Colts look really, really bad. 
and the Jaguars surprisingly look okay. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening there, but not bad for them. 45% going forward and the poor Raiders, they're down to about a 10% chance to make the playoffs now after starting at a 40% chance to start the season, but both quarterbacks in this game were pretty efficient about almost 10 yards per attempt for Tannehill. Each had an interception, but we credit Tannehill with two turnover-worthy plays. And the turnover-worthy plays have been killing his grading so far this year. I think some of it is okay. He had a strip sack, and this one that was recovered by the offense that we called a turnover-worthy play. That is probably an Achilles heel for him, that we don't hit him that hard on the grading normally, is the fact that he has this pocket presence, meaning he keeps his eyes locked downfield. He doesn't feel the pressure, but then at the same time, he can take sacks and then strip sacks uh, because of this one. Quiet day for Devontae Adams, again, for the second straight week, similar to Justin Jefferson here, where, you know, could be some rumblings to figure out what is going to end up happening there. I thought this would be a bigger Derrick Henry game, but he just couldn't couldn't do anything in the second half. The second half, they couldn't get anything going. He had 11 carries for 64 yards and a touchdown in the first half. Tannehill uh, vultured one of his touchdowns later in the game, but he only finished with 20, 85, and one. So pretty bad here. Uh, the Raiders... They were better offensively than you think. And I feel like the Raiders have been actually a pretty good-ish sort of team. Uh, but 0-3 is hard. There were 1-0-3 for the record, 1 of 12 on third downs, which was a killer in this game. Uh, again, make or miss league. I know I say that a lot when it comes to this. The NBA, it's about three-pointers. In the NFL, it's about converting on your third downs, whether or not you can end up doing in the doing it in this game. Uh, but also, you know, Derek Carr, he's he had a good grade, an 86 grade in here, but EPA wise, not good. And on the season so far, and this is a season where a lot of people had Derek Carr as a top 12-ish sort of quarterback going into this year. He hasn't been bad, but his grading 19th is EPA per play 14th. He hasn't lifted them up. I don't think either, even with the the addition of Devontae Adams. And it just shows how the Raiders were in this tough spot. Division so stacked. Uh, defense played really well last year, but was probably going to regress somewhat as far as what they were able to do on that side of the ball. Derek Carr, tough to get him into the top 10. And I also think the addition of Devontae Adams. And I'm sure we'll hear about this, you know, a billion times from here on for the rest of this, if he continues to have, a little bit of struggles here, but I think as opposed to Tyreek Hill and what Tyreek Hill can bring to an offense, this new element that he brings to an offense and even AJ Brown bringing a new element to the offense, Devonte Adams, he brings an always open sort of element to the offense, but you know, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, unfortunately, I think there's a little bit more cannibalization between what Adams brings to an offense and what he does and what those guys also bring to an offense, which probably means they're worth less than the sum of their parts in this sort of situation. Whereas again, Tyreek Hill, AJ Brown, these other guys probably open things up a little bit more for their offenses and something to consider. Um, Okay. Let's get to the next game here. Get through this one quickly. Bears Texans bears three point favorite going into this, which seemed kind of strange because the bears offensively might've been, the worst team in the NFL so far, at least setting back passing offenses back to the 1930s. But the, you know, in the desert, they know what they're doing. 23-20 final score here for the Bears, though there was a late pick that ended up putting them up, getting that final score there. 
I had Houston being better 23 to 20 in this game. Okay. We've got some great numbers here for the bears because they're two and one team. You can just go through so many different numbers here. If you want to talk about like the craziness of the fact that they're two and one. So the bears are two and one. They have completed a total of 23 passes in three games. They're averaging a little bit under eight completions per game in these three games, yet they're two and one. Uh, let's talk about Justin Fields. Because again, Justin Fields is two and one, right? Same as Trevor Lawrence. Hey, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are both two and one. Well, Fields right now, through through three games, let me give his numbers. And I know he had the monsoon week one, but still, we got to get the rest of these numbers here to see how uh, how bad this has been, at least from a passing perspective. Or it, unproductive. Not to attribute good or bad, but let's just say unproductive by the numbers. Uh, he's almost exactly at a 50% completion percentage, 51%, which again, this is the NFL. This is the year 2022. Uh, the, 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 you know, the average is closer to 70% than it is to 60%. Uh, 297 yards passing over three games, so less than 100 yards per game. Two touchdowns, less than a touchdown per game. Four interceptions. Uh, he has two fumbles, but he didn't lose any of them. But again, potential for even more turnovers there. He has 10 sacks. He's taken 10 sacks fields on 51 dropbacks. So almost one out of every five times, 20% of the time, he drops back to pass. He's getting sacked. You know, easily leads the, the NFL in that category. Uh, 10 scrambles also. So 20% of the time he's getting sacked, 20% of the time he's scrambling, and 60% of the time he's actually passing it on pass plays. Um, and he's, he's dead last right now amongst all quarterbacks who have had at least 50 plays this season. So I'm not counting Lance and I'm not counting Dak because they haven't had a chance to, to come back here. Um, so amongst quarterbacks who had at least 50 plays this season, he's dead last 31st in grading and in expected points added per play. Yet the bears are two in one positive side. Let's talk some positive side for the bears here. Khalil Herbert. So anyone who drafted him as a zero running back potential fill in down the stretch, you may have something here with David Montgomery out 157 yards on 20 carries, two touchdowns, uh, 281 rushing yards in total for the bears. So, Hey, I guess you don't need a quarterback if you can do that and you can play some pretty poor competition on the other side of the ball. Damian Pierce, Four yards per carry, not great. 80 yards, 20 carries, but he was very, very productive, and they really leaned on him a lot. He also had a touchdown in this game. What's funny about the, the Bears is that their chance to make the playoffs because we have them internally as being so bad of a team and then that continuing to be pumped up by the poor play they've had so far this season, them going 2-1 and one so far to start the season has only raised their playoff chances from 12% to start the year to 18% according to the numbers. Uh, but they face the Giants, the Vikings, and the Commanders, their next three games. So Vikings, you know, probably not going to win that one. Commanders, probably not going to win that one. But you never know. Wentz could Wentz it up in that one. Uh, Giants, eh, you might have a chance in that one. We'll see how the Giants play uh, tonight on Monday night to get an idea here. But, I mean, if they win two out of the next three, they're four and two. <laughs> that could get interesting. That could get interesting as the Bears sit there at four and two. I don't think it's going to happen, but it can happen, and that'll be uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun at least to, to discuss some of this uh, stuff going forward. 
All right, before I get to the rest of the games here, let me uh, pay some bills, and we're going to talk DraftKings. NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays right now for every leg you add you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And I'll get another plug in here. PFF app, PFF app, PFF app. Go get it at your app store for your mobile devices. Really cool visualizations, especially for fantasy football people when it comes to start sit talent opportunity based stuff all of the rankings everyone labeled in a particular way every every week it's going to be uh, a great device just to get on there and flow through when you're making those sunday morning decisions when it comes to fantasy football and of course you know you get all the articles and everything else on there also the pff app go ahead and download that today all right let's go to washington philly which I had the displeasure of watching being in the D.C. area here. But I do like watching the Eagles. And the Eagles are the story of the season from a team perspective, I would say. Um, Not only are we talking about a season where if things didn't go right for Jalen Hurts, I mean, there was some possibility the Eagles could have moved on from him next year, right? Uh, instead, we have Jalen Hurts in the MVP conversation. Instead, we have Philly starting off 3-0. and uh, According to my numbers, the adjusted scores offensively and defensively, you know, they, they might be the best team in the NFL right now. They're pretty close to the Bills, at least, right now. Their playoff chances, uh, with the easiest schedule in the NFL this season, they were 57% to start the year. So pretty good, mostly based upon that easy schedule. Now they're up to 90%. Biggest move upwards of any team so far this season with a big win here in Washington, D.C. Actually, I guess they're not playing in Washington, D.C., but you know what I mean. Playing right outside the D.C. area. Philly was a six point favorite going into this one. They win 24 to 8. It was 24 nothing for most of the game. Uh, my adjusted score is 24 to nine for Philadelphia. So pretty close here. The pressure on Wentz, he, he took, okay. It wasn't all his fault, right? They were getting a lot of interior pressure, which is great for the Eagles. Cause we saw that interior pressure last week against, uh, Kirk cousins and how that was able to basically destroy any chance they had there of a passing game last week. I mean, a similar sort of thing happened in this game, yet I felt like Wentz was just not dealing well with the pressure. You have to be able to move around a little bit here. 
And I know he had about a 50% pressure rate, but actually you look at the fast pressure rate, it was only around 20%. So it wasn't, you know, super fast. There were times where he was trying to let things develop down the field. They have McLaurin running some deeper routes. They have Jahan Dotson running some deeper routes. They're trying to utilize some of that with Carson Wentz's arm. They just couldn't quite do it in this sort of game. And the nine sacks we're talking about here, including, you know, multiple uh, strip sack situations here, nine sacks here, the EPA lost. So the expected points lost almost 20 points lost on sack, which is one of the worst game, definitely worst game this season. One of the worst games we've seen in the last decade, as far as losing. And you just like, again, tough game for Wentz with the pass rush, but we say sacks are quarterback stat because sometimes even in a play where it's blown up because of the pressure, you still have to be able to get rid of the ball and not take the sack in that situation. It's not giving up, you know, getting those yards back that you would have lost via sack makes a drive salvageable in a lot of circumstances versus just taking the sack and absolutely killing the drive here. What's interesting about Hurts, and I don't know how much to measure him on you know the second half of the game because he has some great eye-popping numbers when it came to uh, the totals here and also EPA, but we actually didn't grade him that great in this game. Hopefully that gets reviewed because we're going to get roasted absolutely roasted on this one because i'm looking at the initial grades on here i think i already flagged this to the grading people so hopefully this will get taken care of but maybe i'll even whisper it because it's like uh, carson wentz at a higher grade than jalen hurts <laughs> so we can't have that happen we cannot have that happen um probably not again not crediting wentz enough with the sacks that were being taken and um yeah, there must have been something else going on in this one. Let me let me just look it up because there must have been some turnover-worthy plays, I guess, for Jalen that were not being called here. Mm, only one turnover-worthy play. Okay, I don't know what's going on. Actually, I see these grades starting to flip around already on review. So well, maybe ignore what I just said about the grading there. I remember those. <laughs> the initial grading, though, was troubling, to say the least. Um, oh, I think it was because on a running play, Hertz, Hertz got hit with a bad um, rushing grade. What happened? Did he fumble or something? I don't, I don't even have it down here. But anyway, that, that's why Hertz's number is low here, is that he actually didn't have su- such great grading here. Actually, he didn't fumble. I don't know why his grading is so poor. But his grading is bad running the ball. So his passing grade, at least, was a lot better. Again, optically, the numbers are big for Hertz. 340 yards passing, three touchdowns, only 20 rushing yards and 11 carries. But the fact that He's able to have a big game like this against a pretty weak defense. Let's not get crazy about the defense here. But the fact he's able to have a big passing game like this, even when he's not being ultra productive on the ground. And the team also was not being ultra productive on the ground either. I mean, their the running success percentile was only in, was below was under 30%. Their EPA per run was below the 10th percentile. Bad numbers there. Um but the fact that they're able to put put together a lot of big plays too, which, you know, not not all the time. Devontae Smith is going to come down with that touchdown that he came down with over defender. He had another long catch where he probably didn't get both feet in bounds, but Ron Rivera was too slow on the challenge trigger for that one. And uh, Devontae Smith becoming a co wide receiver one to AJ Brown with Dallas Goddard, who also made an excellent play which get, you know, gets credited to Hertz, but it was really an excellent play by Goddard to 
uh, Olay a tackle and then get into the end zone. It's a really strong one, two, three. I mean, you might be up there with anyone as far as a one, two, three pass catchers for the Eagles here. So even when A.J. Brown is a little bit of a down game, down game meaning 85 yards, even when he has a little bit of a down game, you have Devontae Smith who had a bagel in week one. He had zero catches in week one. Uh, then he goes to 80 yards in week two, and now he has 169 yards in week three, right up there in the top 10 of receiving yards after not getting anything in week one. Very, very strong from the Eagles here. Wentz, what are we going to do? Not a lot of people liked the trade. We hear via reports that Jimmy Garoppolo was their target. They had a agreement in principle, at least until Garoppolo decided he was going to get the shoulder surgery. And then we have this game where it was one of the worst games. If you're watching this for a Washington fan, I mean, it was bad. There was a fourth and three and a fourth and two in the third quarter where they, they were down 24, nothing and Rivera punted the ball. And, you know, the win probability gain in those circumstances is not monstrous because you have like a 0% chance to win or a 1% chance to win. You're not going to get a huge bump in win probability, but it's basically giving up. And so you have the Garoppolo story, you have them kind of giving up. You have some talk from Rivera, who's normally pretty tight lipped about Wentz could have played better in this game. I'm interested to see what's going to happen here. I really want to see Sam Howell potentially played well in the preseason. He was a guy who came out early, but then fell all the way to the fifth round in the draft. He was seen as maybe being a top pick the year before after his sophomore year going into his junior year, he was, he was being projected as being a first rounder, maybe top five pick sort of guy before falling off there. He looked good in the preseason. Again, he hasn't been active though. So even if they do turn from Wentz, which I don't think they'll do next week, but it's on the radar to happen eventually, even if they do turn from him, maybe they'll go to Heineke first. But I think when you have a fifth round pick who has some promise like this, you want to just find out as much as possible, as early as possible for him. The problem is Rivera is kind of an old school sort of guy. He might be coaching for his job this season. And according to our numbers, you know, the commanders still have a 27% chance of making the playoffs right here, despite this really, really poor play. So now is not going to be the time. Maybe in another game or two, if they lose, maybe they lose the Bears, which they have coming up in a few weeks. They will make that turn after that and finally give up on the realistic chance of making the playoffs with Carson Wentz. And then, you know, if Howell looks good, we don't know how Howell looks, but he's not the backup, at least. He, has, he hasn't, you know, gone to backup status yet. I'd love to see him, though. Uh, play in this one he really showed a lot he showed he showed some good mobility too he's probably the second most mobile guy in that class after uh, Malik Willis I mean Ritter's faster but how you know knows how to run the ball and knows how to he's, he's kind of like a little bit of a pinball in there taking hits so I'd love to see him going forward but you know dark days again as usual in Washington and Philly now has established themselves as perhaps the best team in the NFL close to the best team in the NFL. They were called the most complete team in the NFL a lot in the offseason. Now we have quarterback play. So you were the most complete team, and there was an assumption built into that that the quarterback was iffy. Now we have Hurts, you know, killing so far this season in the top five in grading and EPA per play. 
He was second in my quarterback rankings last week as far as how they played so far this year, combining those metrics. He'll probably be, he might be third or fourth this week because he dropped a little bit on the grading, but he'll be close. He'll be close uh, no matter what. All right, we got some little less thrilling games here else on the agenda, but let's just crank through it. Uh, Carolina, New Orleans, looking bad. Looking bad. We might we might see Dalton time eventually. I mean, I don't know if this is going to happen, but it's tough. It's rough out here for the Saints who, where you think about it, like they weren't super bad in this game. I had them being better, 23-17, a little bit better team in this game because so much of the production for Carolina, that who won, by the way. I mean, I, I forgot the particulars here. So New Orleans was a two-and-a-half-point favorite in Carolina, 22-14 to 14 final score. And Carolina offense is just awful, 10th percentile success rate, but they got these huge yak plays, in particular from LaVisca Chenault to end up getting some points. And... I had New Orleans being better by my adjusted scores, 23-17. You know, drop back was actually not that bad that they had, uh, but two interceptions. Another fumble lost, which was a hugely impactful fumble. Um, and will we see Andy Dalton? I don't know. I mean, Winston's numbers weren't that bad in this game, but when they keep on losing, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough here. And, you know, I like Winston, but I don't know. It's it's rough. It's rough for New Orleans right now. Their playoff chances are down to 20% starting the season at 40%. So they look bad here. I mean, Carolina's at 10%. We don't have anything really to even talk about when it comes to Carolina, other than the fact this probably stays off. Matt Rule losing his job as being the you know most likely guy for that to end up happening by far. Uh, it's such a weird game for Baker Mayfield. 12 of 25. So, Less than 50%, 170 yards passing, 147 was yards after the catch. No big time throws, no turnover worthy plays, no sacks. So he just didn't like give it away, the game. And that was good enough in this sort of game. Saints can't run the ball too. So that hurts when you can't run the ball, you turn it over to Jameis, uh, things can happen. Although I don't think he was that bad in this game. 11 carries for 34 yards on the ground for the Saints. Chris Olave, breakout game. He turned some of those prayer yards into those prayer yards slash air yards into real yards. 147 yards in this one. And on the other side of the ball, at least for fantasy football people, RIP DJ Moore. I think it's over. Um, one, one catch for two yards. <laughs> this game, is that right? Oh, God. 86 total yards on the season for DJ Moore third, fourth round fantasy pick is now gone. RIP to DJ Moore. Okay. Cincinnati Bengals at the Jets must win game or as close as it can be for the Bengals in this one. They win 27-21 after being six and a half point. I'm sorry, 27 to 12 after being six and a half point favorites. Uh, Justice score is pretty close on this one. 18 to 15 here probably the seals the faith of joe flacco will have zach wilson back next week but while it's a win it's a win for the Bengals. you still saw stuff you're not very happy about i mean burrow graded pretty well but he had two two turnover worthy plays um that didn't end up being turnovers and his offensive line 
33.7 pass blocking grade for the offensive line. Again, I put a lot of these sacks on Burrow, but the offensive line has also been maybe the worst in the NFL, according to the numbers I look at on how quickly pressures are coming. Lael Collins in particular continues to struggle, 28.6 grade here. He was beaten by a defender six times, which is a big number as far as him getting beaten there. And it's the second week in the row, grading in the 20s. So I don't think they fixed a lot of problems necessarily for the Bengals in this game. Um, but they got the win that they needed to get. And maybe going forward, it's going to be about you know how can we fix some of these issues that we're seeing. I mean, one of them is that Jamar Chase. So we'll let's put Chase there. Jefferson, Chase, Devontae Adams, another guy. Like these, these, these huge games in week one and then not so much else going forward. Six catches, 29 yards, not getting those explosive plays that they were so reliant upon last year. Um, although they did get one explosive play, which was a cover zero I think it was third and seven catch by Tyler Boyd, which he took for a touchdown. But, you know, how much are we going to rely upon that going forward? Tyler Boyd got, you know, 60 yards of yak on that one play. That's just not going to happen a lot with Tyler Boyd. Uh, T. Higgins, though, he, so it's good to have all three of those guys there because he had 93 yards receiving, leading the team. And they just could not rush the ball. As someone who had Joe Mixon in some DFS lineups, I'll tell you, that was painful. 12 carries for 24 yards for Mixon in this game that really hurt them because they did run the ball 28 times they leaned into that a little bit more than we'd probably hope they would but when they can't protect Burrow maybe they're going to lean back into that a little bit more than we would like to see just because of everything else that's happening now they passed it 60% of the time which was 10% over expectation because they had you know a decent lead pretty early so they weren't you know, adverse to the run, but they just didn't have to, I mean, adverse to the pass, but they just didn't have to pass it that much in this particular game. It's really just a game for the Bengals where you say, okay, let's take our W. We needed it. We were in trouble. Um, And let's hope going forward that we can stack a few of these while having to get a lot better because the playoff chance is still around 40%, not that great. Um, But at least you're moving forward on this one. Jets, you know, the Jets are the Jets. You didn't need Wilson to come back. Everything is just a to-be-determined right here on Sala, on Joe Douglas, on Zach Wilson. But hopefully you're at least seeing stuff from guys like Garrett Wilson, who had another big game. Um, well, big game meaning six catches, 60 yards. I mean, he was productive, at least, in this game. And he had some nice moves there. You're seeing stuff from him, which can get you a little bit excited about the core there. Just need that quarterback to hit. And I'm not confident, you know, in what we're seeing from from what we've seen from Zach Wilson in the past. But there is a chance. There's always a chance, especially with what they have built around him there. Uh, just to check in on Burrow when it comes to his play so far this year. Remember, he was first, depending upon what your cutoff point was, he was first in PFF grading last year. And then being a top 10-ish sort of guy in EPA per play. Right now, he stands at 18th in grading and 17th in EPA. So almost smack in the middle of the league in both different categories so far this season. You know, not great. Regression was coming for the Bengals, but even so, they're just not playing well so far this season. I need to get that tightened up going forward. Okay, let's talk Jacksonville versus Chargers. Most surprising game, I would say, of the week. 
there were some extenuating circumstances when we talk about Herbert. We talk about the rib injury, but that doesn't really explain the most surprising thing here. And, and remember, this is this is a game that I recommended the under, so I'll take the L on that one. I had two different – maybe I should have just said Jacksonville, because, but I had two different parts of my thesis. The two different parts of the thesis were – Herbert's rib injury was going to be worse than it was going to have a bigger effect than what was built into it. But I also thought that the Chargers defense was pretty good for the top five ish sort of unit, the way that they looked earlier that season, the way they played against Mahomes earlier that season, the way they played against uh, Derek Carr earlier that season. But Jacksonville just destroyed them 38 points here, 38 10. Jacksonville wins. Um, it ended up closing at six and a half points to the chargers. Once Herbert was back in the lineup, it was seven and went down to three or two and a half and then back up to six and a half when Herbert was in there. Adjusted score pretty wide. I mean, this was not a fluke that Jacksonville handed it to them 38 to 10. I have it 32 to 13. So almost as wide, uh, chargers couldn't do anything offensively under 20% success rate. Jacksonville over. 80% success rate, and they had some big plays from James Robinson, including a fourth and one. They're going for it a lot on fourth down. Doug Peterson, our Jaguars, including not getting it on the first drive where they went for it, but establishing that mentality, and they're quick about it. Not having to worry about wasting timeouts, doing anything like that. They're up at the line. They're making a decision. They're going for it. That's process. That is process. They have that in place with, with Doug, and also I'll name drop my man, uh, Ryan Paganetti, who helped – on this podcast, co-hosting a few episodes. It was going to be something more extensive, but then he ended up getting this job with the Jaguars. He worked with Doug in Philadelphia before, had the year off, like when Doug had the year off. Now he's back working with him, doing coaching analytics and other stuff there. Uh, Jaguars are hiring for a data scientist, though. So if anyone is interested in getting into uh, on our Jaguars, you should check that out. Uh, A steady, methodical, good game from Trevor Lawrence. You know, 90th percentile dropback success rate. Nothing spectacular, I wouldn't say. He had a turnover-worthy play that we that we deemed as a dropped interception that wasn't that wasn't ended up caught. But still, no interceptions, no fumbles. Um, pretty good on converting, getting those fourth down conversions. Wasn't asked to do a whole lot because of the score in this game. They only passed it 55% of the time. But still, we're talking about solid, if unspectacular play from Trevor Lawrence that we've seen from him after some, fl- some shakiness in week one, the last two weeks have been really, really, really good. And only a 5% fast pressure rate that he faced in this game, despite the blitz rate being 44%. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the Jaguars are doing up front. You, you got to tune into the offensive line podcast to figure out what was going on here. Uh, I mean, Joey Bosa got knocked out. So that ha- probably has something to do with it, but it was the opposite for Herbert. With Rashawn Slater hurting, um, really, really poor offensive line performance, worst grading of the week for the offensive line here. He was under fast pressure 32% of the time, so much, much, much higher there. And Lawrence with about an 80 grade, 0.3 EPA per play, really, really strong. Herbert, more in the 60s, and negative 0.1 EPA per play. And for all this hand-wringing we've been doing about Joe Burrow and some others who are struggling this season, you look up and Justin Herbert, he's 14th in grading and 10th in EPA per play. Hmm. Not great. I mean, yeah, you got the rib stuff. The rib stuff was definitely part of it. So you put an asterisk next to it. But 
still probably worse than you would have hoped for, a lot worse than you would have hoped for, even with the rib issues here. And Trevor Lawrence, 11th in grading, 6th in EPA per play, going to be solidly in the top 10 of my quarterback rankings for how he's played so far this year. Again, not spectacular, not a Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert type of second year so far, but good enough to get it done with these other pieces that the Jaguars have been quietly putting in place. Remember, this was their first overall pick for the second year in a row. Like they've been picking up pieces, spending a lot of money in free agency. Things are coming together with the coaching, which seems to be the biggest element that they brought in with Doug Peterson to now build a pretty decent team and hopefully a decent team going forward. All right, let's go to Arizona, L.A. quickly on some of this because it was kind of an ugly game here on both sides. Well, not really for more on Arizona. I mean, it was 12. They only scored 12 points. Uh, 2012 was the final score. The Rams were a three and a half point favorite. I have it 32-22. So both teams just didn't score that much. The thing is they only had nine drives in this game, but they were able to sustain drives pretty decently well. 76 plays for the Cardinals versus only 45 for the Rams, which is somewhat interesting. Highly efficient game for Stafford, 10 yards per attempt. But 189 of his 250 yards were on yak, yards after catch. Um, Marquise Brown had a huge game, but still 140 yards on 17 targets isn't exactly like efficiency that you want to see. And the Cardinals offense is just, you know, not exactly great generally here. 30th percentile as far as their success rate, where it was almost 100th percentile for the Rams. The Rams ran the ball well, and they passed the ball well in this particular game. And if we look at the stats here, EPA per play for Murray was negative. His grading is in the in the 60s. Having a tough year to start here. Maybe things will get better with DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not quite sure. But as of now for Kyler, he's kind of been an average-ish sort of quarterback so far this year. Not going to get it done. Uh, Donald logs his 100th sack in his career. So congratulations to him there. And... Let's go ahead and look at the playoffs here. It's, it's getting a little bit tough, even though that division has not been as good as you would have hoped for here. Arizona down to 43% chance to make the playoffs, so not, not that bad. LA up in the top five at 78% and cruising. Okay, Seattle, Atlanta. The Falcons end up pulling this one out, surprisingly. And... Well, not surprising, but they were, you know, a one-point underdog in this one. They win 27-23. The adjusted score, pretty high, 36 for Atlanta. Their offense has been sneaky okay so far this season. If you can just get Marcus Mariota to stop fumbling the ball, he had another critical fumble here, which didn't end up coming back to bite them this time after having a couple of fumbles, which did uh, bite them in week one. 96 percentile offensively for the Falcons 90th for Seattle. So pretty good, pretty good for Seattle. I mean, Gino continues to grade pretty well, graded in the seventies here, EPA per play a 0.2 per play. So he's doing really well there. I mean, these teams are not going to compete for playoff spots, but both of them acquitted themselves pretty well, which either says their offenses are sneaky good or the defenses are not so sneaky bad. I think it's a combination of both of them in this game. Uh, Cordell Patterson is probably the guy to talk about here. 141 yards on 17 carries, 8.3 yards per carry. Uh, okay, now let's get to the Sunday night game, Denver versus the San Francisco 49ers in mile high. Ugly game. Ugly, ugly, ugly game. Uh, 
San Francisco was a one and a half point favorite, despite the fact that we we're in Denver. Ends up being 11 to 10 for the Denver Broncos. The adjusted score 14 13 San Francisco. So bad, but slightly better for San Francisco. Denver, fifth percentile in offensive success rate. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, both teams were inefficient. You had the interception for the 49ers, which nailed them down there and conversions one of 10 on third down which is a little bit weird because if you look at san francisco they've always been good with jimmy as far as converting on third down is is concerned uh they're one of 10 they didn't convert until there's four minutes left in the game on any third down they were plus 24 in expected points last season on third and fourth down they were plus 33 in 2019 so they've always been good with jimmy did not happen in this game you know, really a win that the San Francisco should have been able to come away with in this game. Uh, you know, Russ is just struggling. 60th sort of grade, negative two EPA per play in this one. If you want to look at Russ for the season, we have him 23rd in his grading and 12th in EPA per play. Really struggling there. But I will say he is struggling. Everyone knows he's struggling. Can I not see any more bad Russell Wilson cooking jokes where it's some, you know, awful cooking situation? Like everyone in their mother thinks they're being original with these Russell Wilson cooking videos of some awful cooking thing and saying that this is when Russ is cooked. We're letting Russ cook. Russ, Russ in the kitchen. Okay, stop. Save it. We're done. We're moving on. New, new meme. New person to pick on. Let's go past it on this one. Um Trent Williams injury in this game. So that's probably something to keep your eye on going forward for Denver. And let's just get the updated, I mean, for San Francisco, let's get the updated playoff odds here. Still got a 50% chance for San Francisco. It actually hasn't changed that much because of the struggles for Arizona in that also in their division and struggles just generally in the NFC so far this year. Being one and two is not impaling them too much at this point. And flipping over to Denver, very strange two and one, but their playoff odds are up slightly up to 53%. You know, it isn't higher because of the quality of the division and play there and the quality of the AFC generally. And uh, props to Jimmy G for pulling in a, a Dan Orzlowski also taking the, the safety in this one. Jimmy, need a little bit better effort for Jimmy truthers like myself going forward so we can get things going in the future. All right, I'll be back with you guys tomorrow to wrap up Monday Night Football. I'll have some more notes on the upcoming week and games that I like. Maybe some betting stuff, but I don't want to get into it too early in the week. If there's something, especially for Thursday night, that I like, I will tell you. Go ahead and click the thumbs up on the video if you're enjoying this, watching it live on YouTube. Leave me comments. I do read them and will respond to them if they are intelligible. And rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts if you get the chance there. So for everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, spending some time with me to go through the advanced stats this morning. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy, if you can, um, <laughs> the, the game tonight. I know it's it's one of those, you know, AFC East games that, I mean, sorry, NFC East games that'll get ratings because it's Dallas and New York, but could, could be a bit of a struggle session here for all of us watching this one. All right, thanks so much, everybody, and I'll be talking to you tomorrow.